is the Get a Game Plan podcast hosted by the Louisiana Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, ARGOSEP. I'm Mike Steele, the Communications Director for ARGOSEP. Thank you for joining us. We are taking a little break from our emergency management discussions on this episode. Our agency is also the Homeland Security Lead for the state, and lately we've beefed up those efforts with new personnel and management structure. We'll explain what that means to you and talk about the goals for those involved. We'll also speak to Clay Reeves, the director of MOSEP, or the Mayor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness in the East Baton Rouge Parish. Clay has been in charge of the massive recovery efforts since the 2016 flood. We'll get an update on the progress and see what other steps MOSEP is taking to better serve the public. Before we get started with our interviews, we like to start each episode with an emergency preparedness tip. One of the things we typically do each year is mark Severe Weather Awareness Week. This year, Governor John Bell Edwards has designated February 17th through February 23rd as Awareness Week in Louisiana. Each day, you can look for information on GOSEP's Facebook and Twitter accounts with information on all types of severe weather we could possibly face. We will highlight various dangers along with many of our weather experts across the state and share information from our local partners. Again, look for that information starting February 17th. That brings us to our first interview. Kevin James serves as the Assistant Deputy Director of Homeland Security and Interoperability for GOSEP and was appointed by the Director on November 5, 2018. He leads the division and its related initiatives, which include cybersecurity, geographical information systems, Louisiana Wireless Information Network, FirstNet, school safety, intelligence, and information sharing, along with critical infrastructure and key resources. Kevin currently serves as a signal officer in the Louisiana Army National Guard. He has 19 years of military experience, both on active duty and as a traditional guardsman. Kevin earned his ROTC commission in 1998 from Northeast Louisiana University, now known, of course, as the University of Louisiana at Monroe. Kevin, thanks for taking time out with us today. Yeah, Mike, thanks for the intro. So one of the things we've seen in Louisiana over the years, and one of the big improvements we've really made is the communication ability of our first responders and other people kind of critical to an emergency response and, and recovery. Uh, that, of course, is with our LWIN system, the Louisiana Wireless Information Network. A lot of people may not be familiar with that system, but could you kind of explain a little bit about what it does? Sure. Uh, LWIN is primarily a voice-based statewide network. Uh, it does have the capability to share limited data uh, to first responders across the state. Uh, it's over 100 towers. It provides 95% in-building coverage for our first responders, as well as 95% mobile coverage uh, for first responders on the roads and rural areas, et cetera. Um, it is the largest voice statewide network uh, in the United States at this point with 99,000 users uh, to date. One of the things we saw with Katrina and Rita uh, was when that communication network is down, really cripples a lot of what you try to do as, as far as uh, helping people. So it's good to know we have that system in place. Now, interoperability are that communication system is one of the things that kind of falls in, in your, your division. 
So what are some of the requirements for emergency response when dealing with that communication? So whenever you want access uh, to the Elwin network, there are some procedures that you have to uh, go through to gain access to the network initially. Uh, after that uh, is completed, uh, users will identify talk groups that they want to use with their specific agency. They'll also be made aware of statewide interoperability channels uh, that all users must program in their radios. Uh, this sets the basis for interoperability across the state. Uh, after that, it becomes a continual process for maintaining that interoperability uh, across agencies and across multiple types of response. Um, from an interoperability standpoint, uh, there's three things that you need to look at, uh, and that's your people, the processes you have in place, as well as the technology. Uh, all three of these have to work together as one whole to provide fluent interoperability. Uh, from the people perspective, you got to ensure that the first responders, practitioners, technical experts, academia, and vendors uh, all understand what the end goal is and what the objective is. Uh, because if you, get, if you get one of those groups out of sync with the other, uh, you can lose interoperability very quickly. The other piece of this are the processes. Uh, not only must those people be trained and understand what each other's roles are, they have to come together with a sustained commitment. They have to establish a long-term uh, governance uh, body to ensure that they continue to communicate on issues that may arise. Uh, when those issues do arise, they need to agree on action steps uh, to correct those issues. And they have to agree on standard operating procedures, i.e. talk groups to use during an emergency response, who has priority, et cetera. The last piece of that bubble is technology. Uh, the Elwin network itself is the technology piece. Uh, you got to make sure the hardware is uh, compatible. You got to make sure the software is compatible. You got to make sure the applications will talk to each other. And the network has to be interconnected. Um, on top of all that, it has to be secure. So there's a lot of pieces uh, that must come together to ensure that interoperability is first established and then maintained for the long term. That's a good point. So it does take a lot of work and a lot of resources to keep that, that network going. You mentioned some of the talk groups that can be established. And, and one of the things the public may not realize is when you think about a radio network in an emergency, you automatically think about fire, police, you know, paramedics, and some of the other crews. But you could have public works crews, a lot of different uh, people, support personnel on these talk groups if needed uh, to help out with roadways and other situations. Could you kind of explain that? You bet. Uh, currently, there are hundreds of organizations, uh, both local, state, and federal, federal uh, that use the Elwin network. In addition to those agencies, you have your uh, not-for-profits, uh, you have ambulance services, you have other private industry users uh, that come and assist during a response, either day-to-day -day or in a large-scale response, such as the floods in 2016, uh, or uh, as an example, during Katrina uh, back in 2006. So those, those private entities do now have the capability to purchase radios, uh, gain access to the system, as well as use this system uh, during a response to help first responders. You know, that's so important because if you have a, you know, a big wind event and you have trees down or something, those, those uh, other crews, public works, any of the other crews can go out and, and stay in communication with each other, uh, even while everybody else may have limited uh, access because of cell phones and everything being down. So it's, it's great to know we have that system in place 
And uh, great to know Louisiana is kind of on the forefront of that that technology. Now, another thing that kind of falls under your your division is cybersecurity, and we all know how how much that's growing in importance. But the more we become uh, part of a digital age, the more we see you know potential problems. Explain how uh, cybersecurity in this digital ecosystem is is so important. So from a cybersecurity perspective, uh, we could probably spend days uh, talking about that because it touches uh, every part of our life uh, day in and day out. Uh, But from an emergency management perspective, uh, which is where I'll try to just focus these comments, uh, I'll start with an example uh, just to help frame it. Uh, Back in October of 2016, uh, 911 dispatch centers in at least a dozen states, including Louisiana, uh, were targets of the largest cyber attack on the country's emergency response system. Um, What that entailed was hundreds of smartphones dialed 911, which resulted in the flooding of our call systems uh, and excessive phone traffic, essentially a denial of service attack. Uh, A malicious code was pushed out uh, via Twitter. So this just kind of shows you how impactful this can be to the safety of our citizens day in and day out. Critical infrastructure has become a a key focus uh, for us to look at when we're trying to protect such things as our electrical grid, power generation and and transmission parts of that, uh, our pipelines, uh, our wastewater treatment facilities. um, All of those must be looked at from both a virtual and physical security perspective. A widespread sustained electrical outage could trigger transportation disruptions, food shortages, and communications failures, just to name a couple. Um, Our entire way of life in this digital connected, uh, digitally reliant ecosystem relies upon reliable energy. Um, In the past, uh, there's been silos of responsibility for the maintenance of IT networks, uh, securing critical infrastructure, and then emergency management being a separate silo from those two. Um, We've recognized that these silos um, are now investing uh, in professionals that have the technical knowledge and tools to bridge the gaps between cybersecurity, physical security, and emergency management, which we are currently doing at the Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness. Um, If you try to maintain those silos of specialty, you will never get a holistic approach towards securing our critical infrastructure. Um, While IT departments uh, still have the responsibility for the virtual response, for example, to quarantine the malware and scanning the systems after an attack, emergency managers uh, such as us have a key role in managing the physical response, uh, i.e. establishing the unified or incident command and the on-scene incident management. Uh, While both of these ensure the response is being coordinated uh, through the incident, we also have to look to law enforcement uh, in our criminal justice system uh, to follow up on this uh, as needed. It's amazing to think that there are people out there that that's their sole goal is to just cause a disruption in in these areas sometimes. But, I mean, the threat is is real, and it's something we have to think about. You know, kind of going back to a, a practical thing for the public, too, We've had some of the people with the Cybersecurity Commission and some of the other things uh, really cranking up here in Louisiana, talking about how your personal activities can sometimes limit the scope of these bigger events, too, that if we are more careful uh, you know, with our personal information, a lot of times we can uh, keep some of these systems from spreading and, and causing havoc. So 
reset those passwords, do everything you need to do on a personal level to uh, to make sure you stay safe. With the Governor's Cybersecurity Commission, do you think we're starting to see that, you know, you mentioned how everything's kind of interwoven now, it's not just silos. Do you think we're starting to do that more as a state? It seems like Governor Edwards really has a, a handle on that and, and sees the need for that type of uh communication between a lot of different groups. Yes. Uh, in the past year or so, uh, the Cyber Commission established by uh, Governor Edwards uh, has taken a dramatic leap forward uh, with breaking down these silos and actually leads the nation uh, in many areas of this, if you ask others out there. Um, one of the things that they're implementing is establishing an additional ESF, uh, Emergency Support Function, and it'll be ESF 17 for Louisiana which is a combined effort between many agencies, including the Louisiana Army National Guard, who currently has the lead in the Cyber Commission, uh, Louisiana State Police, uh, GOSEP, uh, private industry as well. So we are coming together um, to address this, and our state has taken a lead role in that. Good to see that. And and the final topic we want to hit on today is uh, information management and some of the challenges uh, that we see uh, with modern technology and some of the other things happening right now. Could you kind of address that and, and tell us what role uh, the state and GOSEP are playing in, in that field? Sure. Uh, just to give another example, uh, from an information, stand, information management standpoint, um, take, for example, in our personal life. Uh, when I was growing up, if you wanted to know something, you ask a smart friend, you ask your parents, you ask your teachers, you may have looked at your encyclopedias at home, or you even went to the library and looked it up with the old Dewey Decimal System. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, personal information has seemingly gotten a bit easier to find uh, with the advent of Google being, you know, Alexa, Siri, other search engines. Uh, however, the same can't be said of how we find information when we go to work. A recent example, there was some research uh, conducted in 2018, and what it found was that about 75% of employees struggle to find information in a timely manner. Uh, combined with the same percentage complaining of uh, enterprise information overload. And, and when you combine those two, uh, the problem starts to get somewhat staggering. Um, once you get access to the stuff you need, uh, you can't actually find what you need to do your job. Uh, enterprise information management uh, was the number one challenge that they found in this research. The second thing they found was that the usability and ability to share information with coworkers and others uh, to collaborate on projects uh, was very challenging. And what this leads to is email overload, uh, multiple requests for information, uh, thus leading to some frustration to say the least. Um, this is what I would kind of categorize as an active approach to gather information, a request slash response. Whenever you're looking at, and these are some things that we've done within our division uh, since I've been on board, um, is you want to establish procedures that reduce the need for this active request. And what that looks like is um, you move toward a passive sharing of information that enables collaboration and improves situational awareness uh, for all par partners. Um, what this may look like is a file share um, uh, with multiple areas to post information that we need to collaborate on, um, or that is published as a final product so that your most important information is readily available without having to do an Easter egg hunt uh, when you open up uh, the file share. Um, a very important part of this process is coming together as a team, uh, bringing your partners together, and determining what your goal, your mission, 
or your objective is for this information. How is it going to help your organization accomplish its mission or goal or objective? Once you determine how that information will help you accomplish those three things, then it's very easy to identify which information is most important. Uh, the end state of this process is to improve knowledge across your organization and increase situational awareness in a passive format. Um, and this is a, there's a whole field dedicated to this known as knowledge management. So uh, information management is a huge challenge. Um, and those are just two examples uh, of what they found uh, that's challenging us in the workplace. Uh, the third thing that's challenging us from information management as a whole um, is what we discussed a little bit earlier, and that's the interoperability and the need for data interoperability. Uh, many times databases do not interconnect. Uh, therefore, the data becomes a, becomes a cut and paste. Um, and this makes it very difficult for users uh, to collaborate uh, whenever the data is not interoperable. Uh, so these are some challenges that I would say that most organizations face day in and day out. And uh, these are some things that we're trying to address first at our division and as requested or needed uh, in other organizations. You definitely see that. I mean, our agency deals with so many things at the local, state, and federal level. You do see repeat requests for certain things and, and repeat information sharing and a lot of other things that, that is very time-consuming just to go through and delete emails. You know, there's times where I have to stop my day-to-day -day activities just to go through and, and, and delete emails from the past couple of months or something. So that's, that's good to know those kind of things are being looked at and, and addressed. So we know you're kind of new with GoSep, so welcome aboard. I want to say that to you. So anything you see going forward in the future, something you really want to see the state get into, we kind of listed all the things your division is, is kind of in charge of, so there's quite a list on there. But anything you see that may need to be added in the future or are expanded on? So there's two things that I didn't want to go into depth about because they're still in the preliminary phases. Uh, but these are some, some things that we're looking forward to as a division and putting emphasis on, and that is school safety on behalf of GOSEP, um, as well as a uh, virtual Louisiana platform. This is an ESRI-based platform uh, that is designed for emergency responders uh, during an event that they can uh, pull up the ESRI-based platform via the internet or smartphone and be able to get to pertinent information during a response, such as road closures, um, population centers, numbers of folks uh, in an affected area, uh, common graphics, a place to collaborate that's visually focused. Uh, we're kind of leaning forward in that area to help increase switch situational awareness across the state. Uh, the other piece with school safety uh, is a follow-up with the governor's um, Blue Ribbon Commission on School Safety. Uh, we are taking a relatively new role in this in trying to identify areas where we can help uh, fill gaps or increase information flow uh, to those entities that are currently involved. So those are two areas that we plan to uh, provide more emphasis on in the future. And, and we, unfortunately, we've seen holes in those areas over the past couple of years where first responders, police arrive on the scene of the school. Maybe they don't know the layout of the school or, or some of those types of things. Uh, so that information is very critical. And, and, and again, it's good to know that that's all being looked at uh, to help keep our kids safe. So thank you for joining us, and we appreciate you taking time out with us today. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity.
Now we'll move on to the emergency resource segment for this episode. Many people rely on medical devices for day-to-day activity or we have friends or loved ones that need some type of assistance. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, offers information for helping you get through an emergency while needing medical devices. Go to FDA.gov. There you can find a number of topics on general safety, power outages, warnings about carbon monoxide poisoning while using generators, water contamination, sterility, reusing medical devices, dealing with heat and humidity, and special information about using blood glucose meters. All that can be found at FDA.gov. That is today's resource tip. Moving on to our second interview, we are joined by phone with Clay Reeves, the Director of the Mayor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, or MOSEP, for East Baton Rouge Parish. Reeves has established himself as a state leader in the first responder community. He began his career in public safety in 1989 and over his career has provided strategic leadership and executive oversight at statewide homeland security, emergency management, and criminal justice organizations. Reeves holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in criminal justice from Southeastern Louisiana University and a Master of Public Administration from Louisiana State University. He is a graduate of the 122nd LSU Police Training Academy and the 2005 LSU Command College. Clay, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's great to be here. So one of the things we know uh, Baton Rouge continues to deal with is the recovery from the the massive 2016 flood that impacted that region. Could we kind of start out by getting you to tell us where we're at in the recovery and and what you see kind of moving forward? Yeah, East Baton Rouge Parish is not much different than many other parishes in Louisiana in 2016. You know, we had floods in North Louisiana, and then we had floods in South Louisiana. Many parishes actually got flooded twice that year. So in August 2016, we experienced, you know, what we call the great floods of 2016 um, here in East Baton Rouge Parish, where uh, most of our parish was underwater. It's just the volume of, of rain we received in a very short period of time just overwhelmed our streams and drainage system causing significant damage and flooding in this area, this region of, in South Louisiana as well. So we've been working since that time to to recover from that. You know, we responded um, very well. Um, we were able to open shelters and, and take care of our our citizens in the short-term uh, recovery. Then we moved into mid-term recovery, and then now we're in long-term recovery, which has been more challenging, um, but we're learning from that, and we're we're actually starting to plan for future disasters based on our experiences from our past disasters in recovery. Any of those lessons learned are, are kind of uh, things you're looking at moving forward? Uh, yeah, you know, we we respond well in, in Louisiana. We have diplomats from all over the world that come to Louisiana and study how we operate during a disaster. And many of them ask us, how do we recover? If you look at recovery in general, I mean, you got recovery from Katrina, um, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Rita, Hurricane Gustav, Hurricane Ike that are still occurring in some areas. And then we have this devastating flood that doesn't have a name. Um, it didn't get a lot of uh, attention really nationally, which which creates some some problems for our nonprofits. Uh, you know, a lot of our nonprofits that we rely on are, are um 
organizations that are active in disaster, our VOAD volunteer organizations active in disasters, were actually flooded. So they couldn't lend support immediately. And so we, we looked at, okay, how do we, how do we, if something like that was to happen again, how do we coordinate that effort and start? Because when we start to respond, we really start to recover as well. And the faster we can recover, the less tax dollars we spend on that recovery. Um, so we're really looking at just really the consequences of disasters. We're thinking that can be minimized, you know, with our communities of people, reduce their vulnerabilities and increase their resilience. And we've been uh, trying to do that for a long time, but we we learned that it is extremely difficult because when you have people that are displaced, they talk about the new normal and things like that. Um, it's just very complex in nature. It was such a big strain too on our on our housing population because it, you know, when you when you have a region that's already dealing with the housing crunch, and then you throw a disaster like this in, where so many homes and apartments and everything were were heavily damaged or destroyed, it's just uh, it's it's a major obstacle to overcome to to deal with those issues. Absolutely. So we had a housing shortage in East Baton Rouge Parish um, prior to the floods, and then when most of the homes were damaged and uh, underwater for a period of time. We, we really struggled with uh, finding um, places for people to live. That's, our shelters um, were extended for a period of time. Uh, we were working with our federal partners, um, you know, to make sure that we had places and, and programs in place for people to stay. And some of them still continue today. The manufactured housing units, uh, which is a last resort for survivors during during any disaster. You know, some some of our residents are still living in those units today, and we're trying to work really hard to, to make sure they have all the capabilities they have to to find a permanent location to live. And you know, a lot of times we hear about those families and and their continued struggle, but a lot of times those are some extremely uh, difficult cases, and we have a lot of people. You know, it's starting at the local level on up, trying to help those families. But there's issues about uh, the rights to the property, and if paperwork was handled properly by the by families in the past, uh, if um, there are zoning issues in those particular areas, you know, that are kind of preventing them from rebuilding. There's a lot of different things people have to work through. Uh, so it's good to know that everyone's still on board with that and, and trying to tackle those issues. Yeah, there's so many variables. And at this point in the recovery process, everyone really has their own story. So it's not like you have a group that has the same problems. Everyone has their individual issues and it's just compounding with all the things that have gone on around them. So what we're doing in East Baton Rouge Parish, uh, we've looked at those lessons learned and, and best practices from not only disasters here in Louisiana, because um, we tend to have just geographically we're located, a lot of natural disasters. Um, we, we really we turned toward the uh, federal framework, the National Disaster Recovery Framework, that lays out uh, um, how we can be better organized and coordinate during a disaster. So we've really been, the state of Louisiana has been moving, uh, planning, to, using their recovery plans, to, using that uh, foundation. And uh, at the local level here in East Baton Rouge Parish, we're moving that to that as well, to really have a all-hazard recovery plan. And we've been working on that for about a year. From a practical standpoint, I know you've worked at the state level, and, and now you're dealing with leading you know, a local level as well. Can you explain to the public why having that framework uh, in dealing with a disaster is important and, and what that helps accomplish? The simple answer is to have collaboration and coordination and cooperation. Um, so 
and I was appointed um, the, the day I was appointed and came into work here at the local level by uh, Mayor President Sharon Weston Broom. Our EOC, our Mercy Operations Center, was activated uh, for Harvey. Very fortunately, it didn't come in, in effect, East Baton Rouge Parish. We were able to send responders to the areas that were affected to, to assist. Um, but you know, even from lessons learned from, from things that aren't here, we look at the National uh, Disaster Recovery Framework as as a way that uh, can guide us. And we, we've got kind of, you know, we're in Louisiana, so we've got a local flavor on it. Um, it's going to be a little different than, than at the national level where they have, you know, they're looking at one size kind of fits all for so many you know, different areas in the state is looking at 64 parishes where here locally, you know, we're, we're really concerned about each Baton Rouge parish and what our hazards and vulnerabilities and as well as what our capabilities are, who our partners are. So I think the best, the best um, way to describe this whole effort is we, you know, we, we had meetings with subject matter experts in different areas. We brought in uh, the public for public comment. Uh, we're working with our nonprofit organizations, all of our stakeholders, public and private sector. And we've really kind of looked at um, the areas and who we would need to deal with during a, a disaster. It's good to know. Anything else you want to get out to the public? Uh, any resources, websites, social media you'd like to help uh, promote so that people can uh, find out more about what you're doing? Absolutely. If, you know, um, you can go to www.drla.gov. That's our, our website for our parish. Uh, we're listed on there under the Mayor's Office of Homeland Security and Mercy Preparedness. Or you can go to our Registic Ready site. Uh, we have Facebook. Uh, we have Twitter. We have accounts, um, social media accounts that we that we look at, and um, we have on there. We have our family page, our kids page, notifications. You can sign up to receive notifications. Important uh, messages that we need to send out. We have information about how to uh, don't forget your pet and your your pets, and have a pet plan as well as businesses. And then we also take requests on there if you if folks would like us to come out to to um, to give. Um, any training or anything, uh, information that they, they would like to receive. Good to know. And it's so important for Baton Rouge to stay, uh, stay in that response mode because we all know that, uh, when you have an event and every, you know, a lot of the activity is led from the Baton Rouge area, you know, it's pretty critical for the state kind of moving forward. So we appreciate you taking time out with us today. We look forward to working with you in the future and, uh, thanks again. All right. Stay ready. Stay ready. thank Kevin James and Clay Reeves for the information they provided today. We also want to thank the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA, for use of their studio. Sign up to be an organ donor today. Find out more at DonateLifeLA.org. For more on most of the topics we talked about today, go to GetAGamePlan.org and don't forget to follow GOSEP on Facebook and Twitter. Remember, get a game plan. We'll talk to you again in March. podcast is produced in partnership with LOPA and the Gifted Life Podcast. Find out more about organ, eye, and tissue donation by listening to the Gifted Life Podcast at thegiftedlife.org 
or download it from your favorite podcast app.